Welcome to Fig Tree Watchers. Tonight, we're asking the question, is there a sign that brings out your faith? That's the question we're asking. Is there a sign? That's next on the West Coast Gospel Hour, so stay tuned here on Fig Tree Watchers. Hey, invite a friend tonight. We want to welcome you as we are going through the Gospel of Mark. We are in chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. So uh, stay tuned. It's going to be a great night. We want to welcome everyone here uh, that is now joining us here on Instagram Live. Uh, and remember, you can listen to the replay of this podcast. Uh, every live is saved. Or you can listen to it on the podcast form uh, that you can find on all the major platforms, Google, Spotify, um, and iTunes, as uh, well as Anchor. So Join us, make a comment, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. If this ministry is uh, affecting your life in a positive manner, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, if you have some doubts or questions and want a safe place to talk about them, we'd love to hear from you as well. So thanks for joining us here tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour here on Fig Tree Watchers as we discuss the book of Mark in our continued teaching series through the Gospel of Mark as we go verse by verse expositorily through the scriptures discussing them and uh, we just want to thank you all for joining us tonight and we will get started in just a minute hey uh, remember this week uh, Monday is uh, the Gospel of Mark Tuesday we'll be going through Samuel Wednesday is going to be a, uh, a topical discussion, and I'm going to be off on Thursday. There will be no uh, Bible study. Normally, we're off on Wednesdays, but uh, this week we will be off on Thursday uh, due to a scheduling conflict that I have. And uh, we just want to thank you uh, for for joining us on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then we will be back on Friday with Friday Night Prophecy with. Io from Amitsu Study, my co-host and partner here on Fig Tree Watchers. So that uh, will be happening this week. Anyways, thank you so much for joining. Uh, let's begin with a time of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, Father God, we come to you, Father God, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask you, Father, in, in your Son's name, that you would... Open up the word to us by the Holy Spirit that you will transform our hearts and renew our mind, O God, and that you will grant us wisdom and understanding that we may grow in you. We ask you, God, to forgive us of our sins and our trespasses against you tonight, O Lord, that you would clean our hearts up, O God, and, and that you would make things right between us, O Lord, that we would... Have our sins washed away, O oh God, that we have committed against you this day. Give us our daily bread, O oh Lord. Let your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been going through the Gospel, Mark, and we're... At a, a a really cool segment that has a lot of meaning uh, in my life personally for me, um, 
but it is uh, one of the most exciting books to go through. And here we are in chapter eight. So let's begin and then we'll break it down verse by verse. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. When his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he said, he com- and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said to them also before them. So they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmuntha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them. And then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. This is uh, an important passage that we have come to here um, in the gospel of Mark. It's a, it's a transitioning that is about to take place in the next few verses uh, that we will be getting to next week. But as you can see here, uh, Jesus having performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, now comes to another feeding of the 4,000. And it's in a similar fashion, uh, except this time it's seven loaves of bread and, and a numerous amount of small fish that, were, were, uh, that they had, a, a, a group of small fish. And having blessed them, he fed the 4,000 and he had with them about seven basketfuls that they took up with the leftover fragments. In the previous one, it was even greater. It was a greater miracle. But here is the, the interesting question that we're asking tonight. And that is, is there a sign? Now, this kind of seems like a, a very generic question um, here in the Gospel of Mark. But for a lot of us as believers and a lot of people who aren't believers, they're looking for a sign. They're looking for a sign as to believe in Jesus Christ. They're looking for an excuse, a reason 
to come to the faith of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And they're struggling with this because, quite frankly, they don't want to believe what's right in front of them. They're looking for something extra. And in here, in this gospel, the very first thing that Jesus gives them in this, in this story is compassion. He gives them compassion. Now, I want you to, to pay attention very carefully. The multitude being very great and having nothing to eat uh, was with Jesus. And we get that from verse 1. Jesus brings his disciples to him. He gathers his disciples to him and he says to them, I have compassion on the multitude. Now, this is important because this goes along with the very theme of who God is. Jesus came into the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is compassionate. And that's the first thing that we learn from this story is that we serve a compassionate God. He's not there to put the thumb down on us, to beat us down, to write us when we make mistakes. He's a compassionate God. And he knows everything about us before we know it's about to happen. Let me, let me prove to you this in the passage that we're reading tonight. He says to the disciples, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. You see, Jesus knows where everyone came from. Why? Because Jesus is God. He understands the length in which they have come to hear the Messiah, to receive a healing, to be blessed by the Messiah. Jesus knows this already. He knows everything about every one of them that's in the great multitude. And he understands that their first need is hunger. Why? Because they're of the flesh. And I want you to understand this. This is the same God who loves you who are in the flesh. You who are making mistakes on a daily basis before God. You who are sinning before God. God understands that you are in the flesh and he still has compassion on you. Jesus didn't dismiss them and say, hey, you're starving. That's your own fault. Adam and Eve shouldn't have sinned. No, he didn't, didn't say that. In fact, this is what I love. We have one mediator, the scripture says, between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that he empathizes with us in every way because he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. We have a high priest who understands our human condition because he himself was tempted in the flesh. And this is one of the cornerstones of our theology that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. One of the, the, the great analogies or, or great examples that I have for um, the clarity of this actually comes from a friend of mine, Gabby, who's Greek Orthodox. And one day we were discussing the, the sign of the cross, right? Um, and I said, why, you do yours a little bit differently than the Catholics. Why is that? What, what is the reason you do that? And he said, well, we actually have meaning behind ours. And I said, really? I said, could you explain it to me? And he said, yeah. He said, we hold it like this. This is our sign of the cross. He says, this represents the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
these two fingers right here represent that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And then we do the sign of the cross. The Catholics, they just go, you know, whatever. And I thought, wow, the Greek Orthodox Church has a strong case for the Trinity when they do their sign of the cross and the two fingers representing Jesus being 100% man and 100% God. And I was, I, was, I was actually very impressed with that. I have to tell you that. Um, for a long time, whenever I uh, did communion, I th would think and contemplate what my friend Gabby told me. And, and Gabby was a really, really strong Christian and had a really great faith. Um, and it was one of those things that was just really, really neat to see Gabby being involved with. Um, and he later on became a missionary to back to Iraq at age 70 years of age. He went to a country that was killing Christians. And uh, this was something that he did because the Lord directed him to do that. Now, this is one of those things that I, I really understand is that Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. And he empathized with us in our faith, knowing that we were in the flesh, knowing that we were hurting. And so next, this was the next big thing that came about. All right. He said very clearly, he said, I had compassion on them. They have to eat. They've come a long way there. They've been with me for three days. Jesus understands the time frame of which they've been with him. And he understands the emptiness of which their stomachs are, are going through and which they're yearning to eat something, but they're so desperate to be close to Jesus that they're not willing to leave. For three days, they've been following Jesus because they want the truth that Jesus is offering them. They're starving for the truth. We live in a time frame in which people are suppressing the truth. We live in a time frame in which no one wants the truth. But here, these people, they want the truth and they know that Jesus is the truth. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That was found in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is having compassion on them. And he understands it. And he tells the disciples, look, how can we satisfy these people with bread? How can we satisfy them, right? How can we feed them? And he tells them that it's important. And the disciples ask this question of him, right? They go, how can we do this? How can we do this? We're in the middle of the wilderness, you know, with bread. He goes, how can we, how can we do this, Jesus? The disciples have seen miracle after miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen one miracle after another that Jesus has performed. And they're now in their moment asking Jesus, well, we're in the middle of the desert. What are we supposed to do? What, what are we supposed to do? What, what can we possibly do? And Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? You know what I love about Jesus there? He's not condescending. He's not just, you know, looking at him going, are you guys nuts? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> he doesn't pull out the, I'm the Jesus card at this moment in time. He's letting them go for a little bit longer, right? He's trying to help them in their faith. He's going to pull it out in a minute, and we're going to see that next week. But 
He's trying to get them to wait a moment, realize what's going on. And, and I have to think, man, I, Jesus just had such great restraint, right? At that moment. Because of everything he's done up until this chapter, they've seen it all. The incredible miracles. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before them. And they set before the multitude. They also had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said to them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up the seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he had sent them away. Immediately, he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmuntha. Now, he feeds them and then he sets them away. He goes off into the boat and he goes into another area. And now this comes the important part. The Pharisees come to him, right? And the Pharisees, they're seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. And he sighs deeply in his spirit and he says to them these words, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now, here's the crazy part about it, right? Jesus is showing compassion to one group, but to another group of people whose heart is hard against him, he's firm with them. You're not getting any sign. There isn't going to be a sign for you. He's not showing them compassion But what he is showing them is discipline. I've given everything and you're refusing to hear. This very uh, echoes the very words of Jesus in in the seven churches of Revelation, right? Where it says this phrase, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. Okay. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. So this is exactly what is going on because the Pharisees aren't hearing. They're coming there, and listen to those words. They came out and began to dispute with him. They came to make an argument. Their intention was not to know the truth like the crowd's intention was. Their intention was to create an argument, and they were demanding of him, and they were trying to tell him what to do. There is a difference in this between the two groups of people, and that is why, that is why fundamentally, Jesus is firmer with them because their heart is hard and they don't want to listen. They want to argue. And have you ever come across someone that wanted to argue about the faith? You know, when I was younger, I would, I would engage them. I would just engage them. And I loved to argue when I was younger, right? But now that I'm, I'm older and I'm a lot wiser, I think, um, and I pray that I'm a lot wiser, um, I've, I've come to the conclusion that the debate is worthless, Right? Because they have no intention of converting. And I always ask the person, listen, are you, in, are you wanting to ask these questions because you're actually wanting to think? Or do you just want to debate me for the sake of debate? And they always go, well, I want to debate you. I'm like, I'm not interested. Why? Because I'm not going to change your mind and you're not going to change my mind. So what's the point? What's, what's the point of the debate? You're never going to convince me that, of anything differently of what I believe. Because I know the word of God. 
And they look at me and like, okay, all right, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And they just walk away from it. And they chuckle to themselves. But I, why would I want to debate them, right? I'm interested in someone that wants to know the truth. Someone that wants to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in those people, I'll have discussions with them the whole time. But to the person who just wants to debate for the sake of debating, Jesus tells us in the gospel, he says, hey, brush off your pants, leave that house immediately because they're not wanting to know the truth. They're wanting to suppress the truth. And so for the Pharisees, he tells me, you're not getting a sign. Here's the crazy part. They've had the sign. The sign has been with them the whole time. In fact, the very reason why they're coming to Jesus and asking for a sign is because they know who Jesus is. They wouldn't be there asking for a sign if they didn't suspect that Jesus was the Messiah. They wouldn't be there if they hadn't known that John the Baptist had prepared the way for Jesus the Messiah. They knew why Jesus was there. They knew exactly the reason Jesus was there. They knew all the miracles that Jesus has performed. They didn't need a sign. They were just grandstanding. They were suppressing the truth. And as Romans 1.18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven for all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They're suppressing the truth in, in clear, wicked intentions. Yeah, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were. The, the Pharisees were right there asking these questions, this argumentative debate, for the sole reason, sole reason, because they had hard hearts and they did not want to know the truth. And it wasn't that they were blind. They knew the truth. Remember what Paul writes in Romans 1.18? They know the truth because it's been revealed to them, right? And it's been clearly shown to them by God. Even the Godhead has been plainly seen in nature, but they deny the truth. Look at Romans chapter 1. It's a very powerful passage on the suppression of truth. So Jesus tells them, you're not going to get a sign. And, and that's, he's telling them because I've already given you the sign. You've had the sign. I am the sign. John the Baptist came and prepared the way. That was the sign. You've had all the signs and you're ignoring them. And I think in our walk with God today, we're asking God for a lot of extras in our faith. And sometimes it's just saying, okay, Lord, I've seen everything you've done. I don't need another sign. I know who you are. We have this tradition in, in our family of reminding our, ourselves every year of all the miracles that God has done in the past. And we go through and we recite them, especially around Thanksgiving time, where we recite every miracle that we've experienced as a family. And the kids will, will speak up and go, yeah, yeah, I, I remember how Johnny's legs were born on backwards and, and God healed him. I, I remember, you know, when you prayed over Johnny and, and God healed him. And I remember when this happened and God answered that prayer and, and, and then they'll bring up the house. I remember how mom said it was no way we we're getting the house and we got the house and God provided it and it was the right one. And, you know, all these little miracles that God has given us over the years and we recite them to remind ourselves 
of what God has done. You know, the in the Jewish custom, they had a book called the Book of Remembrance, right? To remember the former things that God has done, right? God told them, remember the former things. Remember them. Write them down. Tell them to your children. They knew that Jesus was coming. They knew that he was to be the Messiah. But their hearts were so hard against them, they just couldn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. The Pharisees. And so, in verse 13, we, we come to this part, and he says, And he left them again, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, why does he bring up the leaven of Herod? What was the purpose of that? Well, very interesting enough Interesting enough to understand is that the Pharisees of that time and the Sadducees, uh, and there was another group called the Herodians, and then you had a fourth group called the um, Essenes. Now, the Essenes, they were like a godly group of Jews who were looking for the Messiah, and they had decided to leave Jerusalem and go out in the desert and wait for John the Baptist. That was their, their purpose. They were waiting for John the Baptist. And we have found their scrolls at a place called Qumran, otherwise known as New Damascus. Um, and we call it New Damascus because that's exactly what they called it. They have a document in the Dead Sea Scrolls called the New, das New Damascus document. And so they, they were... They were there waiting and they wrote a lot about the Messiah and they knew the exact time. If you look at their calendar, they knew the exact time that the Messiah was supposed to show up and they were waiting for him. In fact, when Pentecost happened, most of those who received the fire, that uh, the 3,000 people that were there were probably Essenes. The likelihood was is very strong that they were the Essenes. The other groups, the Herodians and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, well, these were the legalistic Jews. And, and the Essenes, they went by the written Torah uh, and the others went by the oral traditions, which was not what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go by the written Torah. And so he's telling them, look, they have intermingled their Judaism with just enough Greek Gentile beliefs, paganism, that you need to be aware of them. And that's what Jesus is saying. They've added the what God gave them, they've twisted it, and they have this leavened bread that is not what I've called them to have, and they've added with that the leaven of Herod, the Gentile, the Roman culture, the culturalism of Rome. They've added that Greek culture and Roman culture into it. Herod was just exactly that, Greek and Roman culture, into their theology. And they were enamored. You know, this they didn't they wanted to keep the status quo. They liked Rome. These guys didn't want to, to cause a problem. There were many other Jews who didn't like Rome, but these guys wanted to keep the status quo. They were very supportive of Rome. In fact, the argument that they make about Jesus is hey, he's trying to usurp Caesar, you know? 
So Jesus is saying, beware of this because their theology was now warped. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Today, we see the same thing. Today, in our theology, it is being twisted very much by paganism and the New Age movement. In fact, there are people who are struggling with um, the vaccine mandate and they have taken out um, religious exemption forms. And the first thing coming back to them is, well, you know, that's not what your belief says. And, and I, I've had to sit there and counsel people and tell them, listen, they're misquoting it. And you need to get right back into their face and say, here's where the scripture really says about your body being the temple of the Lord. And there's a lot of people struggling with that. There's a lot of people struggling with who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Is there a Trinity? And the New Age movement has crept in and these false theologies have crept in. And so we have this leavened bread of Herod and, and the Pharisees today in the body of Christ. This is why we're warned by Peter and Jude. You know, they're among us, but they're not of us. They are here to, to bring a lewdness to the grace that we have received. A lewdness to it. And Jesus has given that warning. He's given the warning to the disciples. He's saying, look, you better take heed. Beware. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. So today, we have a message that is coming out very strongly. And it is telling you, don't be deceived. You don't need to seek the sign because the signs are all around you. Let me give you this passage to end with tonight. And that is from 2 Timothy. And I want to read it to you because I think it's important. It's from chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unthankful people, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. So we live in a society that has no self-control whatsoever. Brutal, more violent crimes than we've ever seen before. Cities breaking records with violent crimes. Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. Jesus is saying, turn away. Turn away. Turn away from them. Turn away. And so that is... The predicament is that you are seeing this today in the world. And if you have just any kind of semblance of Christianity within you, you've got to ask yourself, you've got to turn and go, wait a moment, the whole world is going nuts. I, I kind of remember the Bible mentioning this. I better get right with God. But there's a whole bunch of you that are go not. You're continuing in the same thing. Some of you are, are still 
not married to the person you're living with. Some of you are, are disobedient to what the word of God is calling you to do. Some of you are, are making the mistakes. And no matter how many times someone tries to correct you, you're just not listening. And there comes only so much time when you can tell someone you need to do what the Bible is telling you to do. And you keep making excuses. Well, I need a sign from God. No, you don't. Get right with God. Do what's right. Do what God is calling you to do. Do it now. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Don't harden your heart. Beware of the leavened bread that you are ingesting from the pagan world. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. If you love Jesus, you'll keep his commandments. It comes naturally. If you don't, well, then you'll just keep going down the path you're going down. And you're going to be asking God, why? Why am I going down this path? Well, because you're not doing what's right before God. Because you really don't love Jesus. Wow. It's a tough pill to swallow and a bunch of you just unfollowed me. And that's okay. Um, because that's what the truth is. That's what the truth is. At Fig Tree Watchers, my partner, Io and I have committed to giving you the scripture. We don't want to waver on it. We're not perfect. We're flawed individuals. We sin every day. Oh, wretched sinner that I am, as Paul said. But we come to the foot of the cross daily, crying out to God for the forgiveness of sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And in that same fashion, I can advise you that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you. But don't make a mockery of that grace. Don't turn that grace into lewdness by thinking that you can just continue to live the life you're living. Go follow Jesus. Love him. Keep his commandments. Holiness and grace are bound together by love. Loving God, loving others. This is why Paul writes in Galatians, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. The one word is love. We are to love God because that's what the law teaches us and love others. That is it for tonight here on Fig Tree Watchers. We want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I pray that this, uh, this word that we gave you tonight would challenge you and cause you to think about your own relationship with God. I pray that it would put inside of you a deep desire to put aside the things of this world, the leavened bread of the Pharisees, and realize that you don't need a sign. You already have it. It's in the word of God. Just open up your Bible and read it. Because everything in the Bible is coming true. Jesus is coming back. The rapture is going to happen. And you can count on it. Because God is faithful and he will do it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And um, you can listen to the replay of this uh, broadcast uh, tomorrow. And you can also listen to the podcast. It will be on tomorrow as well. Thank you so much and may God bless you. 
May he help you. May he strengthen you. May he renew your mind and transform your heart because Christianity, the belief in Jesus Christ, is a supernatural belief because we serve a supernatural God. Good night, everyone, and God bless.